Can you begin to speak to the Lord again this Sunday? I don't know how what we heard last week might have affected you. But the Lord decided to continue with that topic even today. And so I want you to speak to him. Respond to what you heard last week. He had begun to bring to us the issue of love and obedience and trust. I don't know how you have responded. Ask that in his mercy he will come to us again, even this Sunday, and help us. We are all learning at our master's faith. We are all desiring that, that that which he has prepared for us, he would cause to come forth this morning. Gather your hearts and ask him to give you a word as a person. In Jesus' name we pray. Our beloved Father, we want to thank you again this day. Thou who has permitted each and every one of us to be alive at a time like this, it can only be because you have a purpose for us. Lord, you have brought us again to show us yet another dimension of the challenge that you have brought before us this year. To learn, to agree, to cooperate with you in the matter of living by every word of yours. And so, Father, we are looking up to you. We are turning our hearts and our minds and all of our being unto you. And we are saying, gracious Lord, in your mercy, please speak to each and every one of us here this day in the name of Jesus. Lord, let the spirit behind your word grasp our hearts. We don't just want to look at the letter, Lord. We want to know that our Father has been in our midst. Lord, I'm only an instrument in your hand. I too want to see you. I too want to hear you. I too want to feel you. And so, Father, come to us in mercy this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank God very sincerely for helping us last week on the matter of the principles of tithing. And today, again, by His grace, we are continuing with it. As the service ended last week, we had begun to consider the issues of um, love and trust and obedience that he began to bring to us. And today again, I'm trusting that somehow he will just help us to continue along those lines. We had looked at the Old Testament and saw quite a few references about the matter of tithing in the Bible. And I'm trusting that somehow we had agreed that this is something that we need to do. But I did say that today we'll begin by looking at what the Lord himself said about tithe in Matthew 23. If you'll please open your Bibles to Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse 23. Yet to neglect the more important matters of the law, such as justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These are the important things you should have done though you should not have left the others undone either. Thank you very much. If you go to Luke 11 and 42, you will see something very similar to that. The Lord repeated it again there. So what are we seeing here? It comes across very clearly that Jesus is saying we ought not to leave anything undone. We ought not to leave the matter of fighting undone. That's what the Lord is saying. 
If you look closely at that, at that um, verse, verse 23 of Matthew, we're still there. Matthew 23. I want us to look again properly at verse 23. He's focusing attention on what the Pharisees were doing. The scribes, the leaders of the church. That's what they were doing. And he said, they had done all those things. And he didn't say what they were doing were wrong by any stretch of the imagination, if you look properly. But he said, in spite of doing this one, do this as well. So it's very clear that God is saying we should pay our side. Sometimes people argue that, no, 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 it's an Old Testament thing. It's not necessary in the New Testament. And so I wanted us to establish that. Matthew 23, 23 and Luke 11 and 42. Now, one thing that is crucial if you're going to walk in the way that he expects us to, is the issue of obedience, which he had already begun to deal with us over last week. Obedience. That God said in his word clearly, is enough for me to recognize that I need to obey. If Jesus has said it, the onus is on me to obey. In our walk with him, I have realized over and over again that this matter of obedience is so basic and so fundamental. If we get it right, then we are making very significant progress in our work with God. I didn't want to take chances as usual. Remember that I teach language. I said, what does it even mean to obey? It's the word we use all the time. But what does it really mean to obey? And it says, to comply with. To follow commandments, restrictions, wishes or instructions of whoever. And those words are going to help us this morning. To follow commandments, that's obedience. To follow restrictions, that's also commandment. To follow wishes or to follow instructions. So when there is a restriction, the Lord is expecting me to obey. When it is even his wish that he's making known to me, he's expecting that my heart will grasp it in obedience. Praise the Lord. In scriptures, I began to see, and I think we saw some of those last week, we'll not go over them again. But even in the Old Testament, I kept seeing qualifications of this obedience. And so the Lord would say, if you are careful to obey, one would imagine that if you just obeyed, you already have a pass mark. Abby? Yes, if you obey, you already have a pass mark. But you will now see something like, if you are careful to obey. In Exodus 23:22, he says, indeed obey. Indeed, he was saying something, you know, something, he just said indeed obey, and that's what I wanted to bring out. So it's not just obey. It is that there is an indeed added to it. And if you go to Deuteronomy 15 and verse 5. It says, carefully obey. And in Deuteronomy 28, 1, he says, diligently obey. And Deuteronomy 28, 15 says, to carefully observe. Therefore, mere obedience is not even just enough for God. Remember that as his children, there's an expectation in his heart. There's something he's preparing us for. And so, what is merely acceptable may not be acceptable with him. 
there is a standard. There is a high standard. There is a high expectation of the master from each and every one of us. So it's not just that I'm obeying. It is that there is a diligence to my obedience. There is a carefulness to observe. Not just to hear. Even in the doing and being careful. Why? Because this is what my father has said. And if another person will not do it, he's looking at me to do it. And I saw also, and there are several examples, I just picked those ones, about obedience. We know the very popular one in First Samuel 15, 22 and 23, and I would like if someone can find it to read for us, we know the story in First Samuel 15. First Samuel 15 and verse 22, if anyone is there, please read for us. And Samuel said, Had the Lord as great light in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Please give us 23 as well. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? If I restructure that sentence, I'll probably say, The Lord has great delight in obedience. Praise the Lord. The Lord has great delight in obedience. That's another way of looking at that. Saul here was given an instruction. He obeyed Joe. I mean, he went to war. He fought. He got the victory. He even slaughtered everything. But there was a but. There was a but. And in our obedience today as children of God, there are several buts. At every point, God will say, and then I will say, and I will put a but. I will introduce a but. And we know the rest of the story. If you looked at 23, it says, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Therefore, when I'm being stubborn over something that is clear in the word of God, I don't need to be told that I'm a witch. I may be looking at that old woman in the village and saying she's a witch. But me, myself, I'm practicing witchcraft according to the word of God. You might say, eh, it's just a small thing that I've done. And Bible says it's iniquity and it's idolatry. We're very quick to... Find those that we say that are the ones that are idolaters. But God is saying that in being disobedient to his word, in being rebellious, in harboring stubbornness in my heart in any way, this is his qualification of me. And so, if a word comes across clearly from the word of God, and I'm trying to wriggle out of it, and I'm trying to introduce so many buts, let me be careful. This, is what heaven may be pronouncing over me. Even though I may choose, like Samuel, when he, like Saul when he came out, he said, ah, I've done this, I've done that, I brought this one for you. And he was bringing, singing out his own resume. But heaven had a different resume for him. Nobody said that obedience is easy. It's not always easy. And Second Corinthians 8 7 to 8, which we are going to come to later, talks about it. St. Paul was saying, taking pains to do what is right. 
Second Corinthians 8, 7 to 8. And it struck me that in our work with God, we necessarily need to take pains in order to do what is right. I necessarily need to take pains to do what is right. It is critical, it is imperative. If it were easy, he would tell us it were easy. But it is not easy. It is just not easy. I recall an incident um, years and years ago when I was going to have my first child. And right there in the labor ward, it was my first experience. I didn't know much. And as the um, labor progressed and all of those and I was in distress, one of the nurses, a very kind woman, came and held me and said, Look, my daughter, there is no easier way of doing this thing. If there was, it would have been discovered long ago. There is just no other way. Brace yourself up for it. This is just the beginning for you. And it was sound advice. There is just no other way. If you're going to bring forth a child, you're going to go through labor. And labor is not sweet. It is pain. It is intense. It is demanding. And so also, in the issue of obedience to God. I hope you all remember what you are talking about. We are looking at the principles. And I said that last week as I began to pay the I said, what are, what are these principles I'm going to share? And these three things just came very clearly. And we had looked at several last week, but we didn't focus on love, obedience, and trust. And that's what we want to do today. As the foundation, as a matter of fact, not just for paying sight, but for everything in my Christian work with the Lord. If I'm able to get these three issues right, it will carry me a very long way. If I'm able to resolve the issue of obedience in my heart, obed- uh, and the issue of love in my heart, and the issue of trust, I will be able to make great progress in my work. Obedience is not easy. Don't even think it's easy. It is demanding. You can imagine those children of Israel. We saw that just at the verge, last week we were looking at that, before they entered into the promised land, these instructions came. And they were told, it will no longer be business as usual. Do you remember that? Yes, we said that last week. It will no longer be business as usual. We have done this here and done this. But when you get into that place, this is how you are going to do it. And we also saw several examples. Each time they disobeyed and the Lord dealt with them and they were carried away in, uh, into captivity and all of that. When they came back, this issue of tithe came back again. And we looked at Nehemiah last week when he was trying to restructure the building and put, um, put tithing in place. And you know, he said, and we saw all of those last week, that they, de- they decided to obey immediately. And we saw that. That there was even an immediacy to the obedience. It was critical that not just that you obey, but that for them at that time there was hasty obedience. And that's why we looked at several of the examples. It's not just that I obey. Because you may be looking at it superficially and I may seem to be obeying, but God is looking beyond my action and looking at my heart. You know, several times we have learned to conform. Sometimes you just fall into some patterns. You may be doing it grudgingly. Anybody looking at you on the outside doesn't know that there is a grudge. Anyone looking at you doesn't know there is resentment. Like we looked at the example last week of, of several of, 
um, our other brethren where they are resolved in their own church you will come out with your envelope and stand and queue up that you are going to present your tithe and so month after month if you never come out they will certainly recognize you don't pay tithe and because you don't want them to feel you don't pay tithe you probably just put a 590 on envelope someday and come out there and give or if you still have a measure of fear you may be filled with resentment and you come out to give. I told you that when I was there, I resented it. I resented it not because I wasn't painted, because I said painted even long before that, but I didn't like the idea because I didn't see it in the Bible. I didn't see that I have to come out and begin to advertise that I'm painted. I didn't like it. And eventually the Lord took me away from there. Because whenever you're in a congregation, it is best that you flow with what is happening there. It is best. Praise the Lord. And so we have established that obedience may not always be easy. But at the bottom of that Second Corinthians scripture, I said we'll come back to it later. At the bottom of verse 8, it says, And to prove the sincerity of your love. So part of my obedience is that God is trying to prove the sincerity of my love. And that brings us to the second principle, love. This is another principle that also came to us last week. One could ask very simply, why must I even obey God? And somebody can simply again say, because I love him. That's why I'm going to obey him. Because I love him. Of course, you could also turn the sentence around and say, I love God, so I will obey him. It's all good. All those are acceptable sentences. They're fine. But again, the list of answers that you can also give about loving God. What are your reasons for loving God? Could be endless. There may not just be one reason. There could be several. Several reasons why you could say you love God. Let's just look at a few of them. Because he made us. It's plausible. It's sound. Because he made us. Because he's our creator. He created us. He's not just our maker or creator. He's our heavenly father also. I owe him my very existence. Therefore, I love him. He's my creator. Therefore, I love him. He made me. And then number four, it could be because it is his express command. The word of God says clearly, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of that and all of that. We have already said it this morning in the, in the preparation for the Holy Communion. So we know that we should love God. It's actually a command. That could be a reason why I love him. Then I could also go beyond it and say, yes, I'm loving God because he loved me himself first. You know, um, love is reciprocal. Quite often when, you love some, when someone loves you, you might just respond back because the person loves you. So it could be that it is because he loved you that you decided to love him, which is not bad. It's not a bad thing. And we know also, as our daddy reminded us last week, that he loved us so much that he gave us his best. He loved us so much he gave us his only begotten son to die for us. So that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Amen. So that could be another reason why I'm loving God. Because he loved me first. Because he died for me. Because I don't even want to perish. It's also possible. I don't want to perish, so let me love him because I don't want to perish. Or because I want everlasting life. That's another reason to love him. 
And then we also know the scripture says, it is in him that we live, in him that we move, in him that we have our being. And if I understand that scripture, then it's inevitable too that I love God. We're looking at the matter of love and as a principle for fighting. So the fact that I live in him, I move in him, my entire being, all of me is found inside of him. He defines me. He defines my person. He gives me life. That, frankly speaking, that all of us are here this morning, it's only because of his mercy. There wasn't really anything particular that you did that enabled you to sleep and wake up this morning and be here. It is just because of him. And then I want us to look at Second John 1, 6. Say something very, very interesting there. Second John 1, 6. And this is love, that we work after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And this is love, that we work after what? After what? After his commandments. That was the way that John chose to define love. And we know that John, particularly those the, the first and the second, really full of expressions of the love of God for us. And he strives in those two little books to show us how critical it is that we love God. And he goes ahead also to show us what it even means to love him. Which means therefore that I really can't even say that I love God except I am working in his commandments. I don't know if that strikes you from that passage. I want you to look at it again. And this is love that we work after his commandments. And I want to strike the other part of that verse says, this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning you should walk in it. And when I was looking at that again for this message, it struck me that there is a comma after commandment and then there is a that and that that has capital letter. And if I were marking scripts and saw that I'm going to circle that, I'm going to penalize whoever wrote that for me. I don't know if it's like that in your scripture. But in King James, that is how it is. There's a there's commandment and then there's a comma. It's not a full stop. And then the next word, which is T, starts with a capital. That. So what is that there that he's talking about? The totality of the message of salvation that you heard that brought you to the point that you are. That, as you have heard from the beginning, that, virtually using it as a noun, which is very surprising. Refer that, referring to the gospel as it were. I was surprised when I said, I kept wondering, what would this occur like this here? That, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. I don't know how else God is going to Show us that part of my love for him shows in the things that I do. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the fact that what I do is going to end me God's mercy or favor or salvation. Don't get me wrong. That is definitely not what I'm talking about. Still, my actions should tally with my words. My actions should still tally with my profession and my confession. My actions should still convey to the person looking at me that my love for God 
is deep. It is genuine and it is living. Praise the Lord. And that's why he says, this is love that I walk after his commandments. So if somebody else is choosing not to walk after his commandments, I am choosing to walk there. And then you ask me and I say, because I love God. That is enough. Because I love him. Why are you not going there? Ah, God, God doesn't want me to go there. And that's enough. Yes, that's enough. He doesn't want me to go there. I'm not going there. Ah, but why won't you go? Because I love him. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to do something that would displease him. So, I'm trusting that you are able to understand how this is coming. My love for God compels me to do things for God. Because he has said them. Whether they are restrictions... Whether they are his wishes, whether they are his desires, whether they are his instructions, whether they are commandments, however they come. So long as they are coming from him, that is enough. I should find myself doing it as an expression of love. Some of us who teach in the higher institution, sometimes we have very good laughs. You will see a boy that is very obviously hungry, very hungry, and he doesn't have a lot of money. But if he has 1,000 naira and any girl agrees to follow him to crunches or cheaties, he would buy water and tell her he's not hungry. And she will eat the chicken, eat the meat pie. And, and if you ask him, he's not feeling bad because I love her. He's ready to go hungry. He's ready to go hungry. Young people, you know what I mean, Adi? I don't pretend you don't know what I mean now. You know what I mean. And this is something that may not even be novel. Because tomorrow... <laughs> he finds another person that catches his fancy. He won't even pick that one's call. He's pursuing that one. But at that time, when she's holding his fancy, let me use the word fancy, he's ready to do anything for her. And minus that one, let's even look at us as parents. One of the highest selling shops in the US, when they, when, like when they do surveys, is the uh, shop that they call um, Toys R Us. That shop sells children's products. All kinds of toys. And you see parents spending lots and lots and lots of money to buy toys for their children. Why? Because they love them. You remember the song of last week that I kept going back to? God said, even if a mother would forget that child of hers, he will not do what? Will not forget us. And I don't really know how many mothers can forget their children. In times past and even now, women will sell their last wrappers in order that their children will go to school. A mother would cook and give up the food for her children. I, I was reading something that struck me so much. A particular boy, obviously from a very, very poor home. I didn't get the whole story. I don't know how he ended up in the U.S. But he graduated and his classmates rallied and paid for this illiterate poor woman to go to the U.S. and be at that, at that boy's graduation. And so they're just putting the news everywhere. And there's another one that I also saw. A young boy. He wore his um, youth, youth service attire and went to the market where his mother sells fish. And he took a picture with her. And he put it on Facebook. And he began to write beautiful things that will bring tears to your eyes. Of how his mother had labored selling that fish in order for him to go to school. What am I talking about? Love 
of us human beings so that are so evil. If we can go to that extent, how much more the love that God has for us. And so if he in turn tells us to love him back, because is he asking for too much? Is he asking for too much? It's the least we can do. It's really the least we can do. And so, let's look at trust. We have looked at obedience, we have looked at love, and we're looking at trust now. As principles that the Lord is giving to us to help our hearts to once and for all resolve this issue of tithing. If you are still among the few that have a lot of questions. He's hoping that this, this three will serve as a foundation for you to anchor your understanding on. Praise the Lord. Trust. Again, I don't want to take it for granted. Let us refresh our memories or our minds with what the word trust means. Reliance on the integrity, the strength, the ability, the surety of a person. That's what it means to trust. That is, you rely on somebody's integrity. You rely on that person's strength. You rely on his ability or you rely on his surety. You know, when they're going to ask someone to come, maybe work in a place, they ask you to go and bring a surety. Somebody who will come and guarantee you that they will take you. That's what that word means. And so, another reason why my heart can just accept that I'm going to pay tithes is because I trust God. Full stop. It's enough that I trust God. That I've chosen to rely on the integrity of God. Remember we're looking at Malachi last week. We're saying that God is expecting that he has taken us to a point where I'm no longer giving him tithe because I'm jumping up and reciting and holding my tithe in my hand and saying, Lord, you will be devourer for my sake. You will open up the storehouses of heaven and you will pour blessings upon me that my room will not be enough to contain. And all of those things that we, 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 we quote. Don't get me wrong. It's there clearly and God has said it and he's going to do it. But again, I should have grown in my relationship with God to the extent that I'm just giving him tight because I trust him. That I trust him with my life. That I trust him that if he says it is well with me, then it is well. And if you go back and look at the Old Testament people, remember we saw Cain and Abel, and we saw God asking Cain, if you do right, will you also not be accepted? And then I saw several people, they will say they are bringing the best, they are bringing the first, they are bringing the best. So whenever anything came, they took out the best and they gave it to God. There was a joy in their hearts in giving the best to God. Some people have said, eh, sometimes you can just give him some now. At least you, you've tried. You gave him some. Do you know? If your tithe is less, is, I don't know, Matthew, if it's 9.9%, it's not tight too. It's not tight. If it is less, it's not tight. Don't even deceive yourself for a moment. As I was looking at some scriptures, I was just saying, Bring the whole tithe. Bring all of the tithe. You know, different translations we are rendering them like that. Bring the whole. Bring all. 
So if God says bring all and you bring some, please, have you obeyed? Partial obedience is no obedience. At least we saw that clearly in the case of Sam and King Saul. So you have to bring everything to him. That 10% that he has asked for. So there is also in this trust conviction. And there is faith. I was pleasantly surprised to see faith. But you know it was good. Faith also is trust. I have faith in you. I have trust in you. I have assurance. Even certainty. This means therefore... The simple trust that God knows exactly what he's doing, why he says what, why he instructs us to do whatever. I'll say that again. I come to the point where I accept that God knows exactly what he's doing. Whether I understand it or not, I simply know that he knows what he's doing. I also believe that he means what he says. And that he knows why he's saying what he's saying. He knows why he's instructing me to do whatever he's instructing me to do. And if I understand all that, then there must be an unflinching confidence in my heart that he truly knows what he is doing. After all, we say that God is sovereign. And then we sing a song. God says it. I believe it. What's the other part of it? And whenever we're singing that song, my heart just gets very excited. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. But I think we just sing that song because it's a nice song to sing. It gives us a nice feeling. I don't really think we believe what we're saying. Because if we do, several of the issues we're grappling with, we're dealing with on a, time, on a day-to-day basis, over this matter of living by every word of God, would have been resolved in our lives. And yet the struggles continue. In every area of our lives. Because we are not yet serious. We have not yet made up our minds. To simply say indeed. That God says it. That I believe it. And that that settles it. That should be it for me. If God therefore has instructed me to do a thing. Several times. I should trust him enough to obey him and not just to obey him, to be careful in obeying him. Then, now again you might ask, why do I have to trust God? Why do I even want to trust him? A few reasons again. Because God has repeatedly declared that he is faithful. He has declared his faithfulness. It even got to a point where, I think he looked at us, he got so tired with this, but he said, even when you are faithful, I, still remain faithful. So, my unfaithfulness doesn't change God. My unfaithfulness doesn't detract from his own character. If I could put it this way, it's innate in God. It's an intrinsic part of his nature that he is faithful. The same way we say God is love, we say God is faithful. So you can't divorce faithfulness from God. It's just him. It's him. It's part of him to be faithful. But the question again is, do I really believe it? Do I know that God is not just saying it? Again, how will this my trust be tested? Same thing with love. By my action. It is my action again that 
becomes the test for whether I am faithful or not. It is what I do that shows whether I consider God faithful or not. And this is the challenge where Christians have their greatest challenge. Trusting the word of God. Believing the word of God. That God has said this. It settles it. I believe it. Does it for me. And so, when God says something, I'm acting on it. I'm living it out. It becomes my life. Sometimes I look at some brethren and, and then my heart begins to ask several questions. Several of us have actually not understood that being born again, being a believer, is a lifestyle. It's actually a lifestyle. There are the moment you get born again, there's a U-turn. Bible says all things are what? Passed away. And all things have become new. We like that when it comes to claiming promises. But we don't like it when it comes to checking this my life. Checking it on a day to day basis. Is there evidence of the new life in me? Is there evidence of the new creation in me? Those that knew me. When they see me, by the time I've stayed with them five minutes, they should be able to say, "Ah, uh-uh, what happened to you? There's something different about you. And if you can stay with people that knew you when you were in the world, and you stay two hours, and they don't notice anything, believe me, you're not yet changed. There's not, nothing has happened to you. The difference should be so clear. In everything, they can tell. They can tell that there is something. They may not know. That's why they will ask you. There's, there's something. I want you to tell me there's something about you. There's something about you. I should therefore trust God. That if he says I should give him this. He already knows that the one he's leaving me with, I won't die. And even as I said last week, we don't even recognize that even that one he's leaving you with is not even entirely your own to throw around as you like. That the person who is led by the Spirit of God will still pause from time to time. That purchases you want to make and the Spirit of God is not going to permit you to. And it's not because you don't have the money. It could be that the money is in your hand, but it's for something else or for someone else. Remember I began to talk about being stewards of his grace last week. It's not just stewards of grace, stewards of everything. A steward of the time he has given me. A steward of the opportunities he has given me. A steward of the appointments. Everything he has given me, I'm going to account for it. I usually say to my children, look, oh, it's not just about me. It is that God is going to ask me, eh, between this period and this period when you were there, how were you a mother to these people? Ungwa, explain. That is okay. I'm preparing to explain. Make sure that you're also prepared to say how you were a child to Ijoma. I say the same thing to my, my students. I'm coming in to teach, to teach you with the fear of God. Because he's going to ask me. As so-so-so and so-semester, I put an HND1 mass comp students into your hand. What did you do? Tell me that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to be sure that I'll be able to explain. But he's also going to ask you, ahead, that period, you were a student. What did you do? How were you a student? We are stewards of every opportunity. And I say to my students, do you know that for this opportunity that you're here in the class, somebody else could have been here. Somebody more brilliant than you. 
same thing for me. Somebody else who may be more brilliant than myself may be there as a farmer in the village just because she didn't have the opportunity that I had. And so, I'm going to have to give an account for it. If I see it as an opportunity to collect envelopes from students, green, yellow, and white, fair enough. Someday, I'm going to stand and I'm going to defend those actions. Does that make sense to us? We are stewards. We have to account for all that we're doing. Praise the Lord. So I was saying that my action is how anybody is going to know whether I really trust God or not. And so our work with God is a work of faith. That's what it is fundamentally. I do the things I do. I think the way I think. Do you know one sister came here one time and she shared something with us. She said, some of us have learned how, a few things that are expected of Christians. So she said, for example, if you're passing and you step on her, she, and you tend to say, sorry ma, she says, oh, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry, it's okay. And you go away. And inside her heart she's saying, I, I don't even know if that boy doesn't have eyes. Imagine living that place. See where I'm sitting, you know, and, and he came here to step on me. Imagine. Two different reactions. The other one people saw and they said, Chai, this Christian, so she didn't even get angry. Chai, eh, when will I be like her? And the Holy Spirit is saying, Wow, my daughter, see what you're thinking in your heart. And so I began to see God also taking me to the issue of my heart, focusing His such beam as it were on the heart, that one that nobody is seeing. He's searching. To see my motive for giving. My motive for doing anything that I'm doing. He's watching. And he's asking you. So when the Bible says we shouldn't, let me just give an example. We shouldn't have impure thoughts. You know we're not permitted to think impure thoughts in our hearts. We're not permitted to think wicked thoughts. So if you suddenly catch yourself thinking what you're not supposed to be thinking. What do you do? Do you recognize it? And quickly say, I, I shouldn't think this in my heart. Nobody is seeing you. You are there alone. But you quickly rebuke yourself. Why am I thinking like this? I shouldn't think like this. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is resident inside you. You are his temple. You are his dwelling place. And because you trust God, you know that he's seeing what is going on inside of you where nobody else is seeing. We have to run now. Praise the Lord. So my choice shows my deliberate choice. To act upon the word of God in its entirety. And Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11.6 For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Remember brethren, that we are striving to live by every word of God. If I am going to have faith, if I am going to even begin to do what God wants me to do, then I am going to believe that God is. Not just a head knowledge. I don't really have time to talk about now. Not just, you know, sometimes we just know that there is God. You know, there is God somehow. You know. You come to church, you are born a Christian. You come to church, you go away. You know that there is God. That is not the same as knowing that He is. And that's why the Bible made that very, very clear distinction. That He that will come to Him must first believe that He is. And that He is a diligent rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. 
Again, look at the choice of words in the Bible. It's not that he's a rewarder of them that seek him, which would have been okay. But the Bible says, diligently. So there's a diligence with which I must pursue my seeking of God. Otherwise, I won't even find him. We agree also in John, 1 John 5 verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and again his commandments are not grievous. I've shared this with us before, and I love to remind myself over and over again. We talked about the fact that Paul said, you take pains to do what is right. It can cost you something to do what is right. It might even make you lose something. But here it says, God's commandments are not grievous. I have to settle it in my heart that whatever God wants me to do is not burdensome. He's not targeting to kill me. He's not targeting to snuff life out of me by telling me to do those things. And as I sat down over and over again in the course of following God and I began to think about it, I had to come to a point of agreeing with God that whatever He wants me to do is ultimately for my own good and not for His own good. Praise the Lord. Whatever God wants me to do is for my own good. Whatever he wants me to do is for my own good. It's not for his own good. And in Second John, that was in, in 1 John 5, 3. I want you to know that and look at it at home. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then those commandments are not grievous. Please note that. Second John 1, 6 says, that's what we read before. He enjoys us to note what love is and that love is working in his commandments. Finally, why should I pay tight? Why do I have to pay tight? In the Old Testament we saw that they needed to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in his house. That's Malachi 3.10. That we should bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in his house. Let me read it to you from message. Message puts it in an interesting way. Verse 10 it says, Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury. So there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see. If I don't, you know, the rest of it comes. Temple treasury. God wants us to bring all of the tithe into the house so there will be meat in the store. So that there will be provision in the store. It is not my duty to say, but what will they do with it? That is not my business. That is really not my concern. That is not my business. That is not my concern. We are very fortunate in our own, in our own congregation where our leaders are all working and are not full-time and all of that, and sometimes they even bring their own and they even give to some of us, that's a different thing. But even if you were in a church where the pastor needs to be given part of the tithe for his sustenance, it's not your business to now say you won't pay tithe because of that. It's not your business. After all, you use money to run your homes, don't you? We need money to run homes. We need money to run ministry. We need money to do everything. In this place, the last time we were at um, Akabugu, it was such a joy to be there. To be seeing the, what we had put up and this is the fourth one and all of that. And if you're a tight a payer, it gives you joy. But the little you're giving is able to put up a structure somewhere where people there may not be able to build a church. But even if that is not what the money is being used for, it's not your business. Do you know, as I was looking at it, I saw that as the people brought the tithe to the storehouse, people were again appointed to distribute the money to the Levites or whatever it was that was brought, the food, as it was necessary. Why? They didn't have land like others. And God decided to provide for them. Why would I now sit down and begin to begrudge them that? 
And then several people were appointed. And they also had to pay tithe on the tithe that was given to them. It's very interesting. As all the tithe was gathered, believers gathered some, paid their own tithe, and then they could live on the rest. If you are in a congregation where the pastor is buying a jet or living a flamboyant lifestyle, you can pray for him. You can um, seek godly counsel on how to bring the matter before him. Not necessarily because he's paying you that you're giving him money and he's spending, but because his soul is at the risk of eternal damnation. That should be your concern. That means, therefore, that nothing should stop us from bringing our tithe to the Lord. And in, in Nehemiah, I saw that in Nehemiah 10, 34 to 39, you can look at that when, we get, when you get home because we are done. And in message, then Nehemiah 12, 44 says, Judah was so appreciative of the priests and the Levites and their service. Even because you are appreciating these people who are laboring over you. I mean, in the Old Testament, I'm not even talking about now, where several priests are, are in, um, in secular appointments. The people of Judah were appreciative of their priests and Levites and the service they were rendering to them. The same way God is looking at you and I to make provision for us. is the same way he's also looking to make provision in his household for several needs that arise in the house of God. That's why the people said, we will not neglect the house of our Lord. And several times they repeated it. And their way of showing they will not neglect the house of God was for them to bring their tithe to the house of God. As stipulated. And therefore, I submit to you that we have no need to begin to argue and resent and revolt and rebel about the issue of tithe. We should ask God to settle it in our hearts once and for all. Finally, Second Corinthians eight seven to eight. That's the final scripture we're reading. Second Corinthians eight seven to eight. As ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Even as we abound in every other thing. You know, God is expecting that we'll abound in every area of our life. None should be none, none should be faulty. We shouldn't default in any. He's also desiring. He's also hoping that even in the matter of giving, Paul there was talking about giving. He said, receive also the grace to abound in this aspect. And we remember that even in that Malachi, Malachi scripture that we claim the promises, there's also cost on the people because they are robbing God in their tithe and in their offering. So there is blessing. As you become a tither, but there's also a cause as you withhold your offerings and as you withhold your tithe from the Lord. Can we bow down our heads and begin to pray? Can you respond to God? If you have been diligent in paying your tithe, can you ask Him to help you to continue being diligent, being careful? To give Him because you trust Him, to give Him because you obey Him, to give Him because you love Him. And if you have not, can you beg the Lord to please help you? You know, whatever issue you can argue about, you can actually go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to please explain it to you such that your heart would also become convinced. And we did end up by saying that it's not just enough that you're bringing tight. It is that you have brought yourself first of all to the Lord. Have you brought yourself to Him? His person has to be acceptable to you. Can you respond to God in this message? I don't need any more arguments. I need no other plea. The fact that God gave his best 
Jesus gave his most. Out of his love for me, he paid the price that I may not perish, but I can find favor with God and have everlasting life. That's salvation. That's the prompting for obeying God. That's the prompting for tithe. God has given me, and out of love to him, I obey. I give out of that which he has given me. Why? He told Abraham, Now I know that you love me, and that you obey me. And therefore, I will bless you. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. I have seen your heart, so there's an open door. In this difficult and economic time, you will have sufficiency. Through you, I will bless others. You will not borrow, you will be a lender. That's God's mercy to you and I. Can you tell God, thank you. Thank you for a way to respond to you all the time. Thank you for a way you know how much I love you. Thank you for how you determine my obedience to you. When you have a greater stock of provision that I do not need to depend only on my salary, allowance, contract money, or even wait till the end of the month. Now right around the year, you have a way of sustaining me, but you are testing me to see how much I love you and I will obey. Can you ask God, please, I need no other argument. I surrender whole and entire that which you ask of me and even more. And if you have found it difficult to really give your tithing, tell the Lord, forgive me. Today, this shortcut, this way of righteous living that does not need me stealing money in the office, that does not need me telling lies, that does not need me doing bribery or corruption in any way, but you have provided a sufficient means for me, Lord, that I have opened the door to it. I want an open door. I want an open door. Lord, thank you. And as you do that, this call goes out to you this morning too, that they first of all gave their hearts to the Lord. God showed his love by giving Jesus. The first giving is not your money. It's not your time. It's not your tithe. The first giving is your life. And if this morning you are here, and the Spirit of God is telling you, your life has not been surrendered to Jesus. As the message was going on, what you were hearing was, My son, give me your life. My daughter, give me your heart. You want Jesus to live in that heart and take control of your life. You give him first your heart, and then you can give your money. You want to respond this money and say, Lord, I'm tired of running my life. I don't want sin to rule me over anymore. Come into my life, Jesus. Lead me on. Please, raise your hand where you are. I want to hand over my life to Christ. I am sincerely asking him to run my life. I want Jesus to come into my life and give me a new lease. I want my heart to be given over to him first. I didn't say you've not been coming to church, but you are convicted this morning. I need to live running my life. A life of sin. 
And I want Jesus to run my life. I surrender my heart to him. That's the only way you can also obediently give 10 naira, 20 naira, without complaint, without murmuring. I want to surrender my life. Jesus, come into my life. Give me peace and make me a delight to God. Can you raise your hand where you are? Please, as you raise your hand, kindly stand where you are. We're going to pray. And nobody is forcing you. But the desire and the pressure of the Lord upon you will confirm what you have done. Just stand. Let's pray together this prayer. The Bible says you believe with your heart unto righteousness. You confess with your mouth unto salvation. At this moment, please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You paid the price for my life on the cross of Calvary. I know I'm a sinner. I need no other arguments. I need no other plea. I have gone wrong before you. I want my life to be a delight to you who created me. I return to you. I repent of my sin and my past way of life. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me. Give me the power to be a child of God. Thank you. As you answer me in Jesus' name. Lord, as many as receive you, you give them the power to become your children who were born not of flesh, not of blood, not of the will of man, but by your power. And you turn their lives around. And Heavenly Father, you do a miracle, you do a mystery that no one understands. But we know it by the change that is wrought within us. We ask you at this moment, even by this same way, Lord, let there be a change in the heart of your children who are at this moment confessing your lordship in the name of Jesus Christ. Let the old things pass away. Let all things become new. And let your presence, your power, your means, Lord, turn them around and let joy unspeakable. Peace that passes all understanding. Garrison their hearts in you and lead them on to serve you in faithfulness all their life and in Jesus' name we pray. What's he praying? You found it difficult. Student, worker, pensioner, any other group of persons, salaried, self-employed, to determine what your fight is, to determine what your earning is, to determine how much to give to God. Some you have known, but many a times you have usually shortchanged yourself. God has shown us love, obedience, and trust. But God also knows that this is the way to make you and I never lack, irrespective of the economy. And that's the reason why he's asking us to live by his word in talking about tithing at a time like this. You can't depend all on the economy. You can't depend all on just the things that you can count that are limited. There's a way God supernaturally blesses you when you have lived in obedience to his word. And if up to now you have struggled about it, you haven't really been faithful. Nobody is looking at you, but this moment you are making a resolution. You are determining before God, and you are asking him, God help me. Just stand where you are. You are saying, God, I'm taking a step, and I have been shortchanging myself. If you diligently have obeyed God, you will not lie. 
There may be times you think there is nothing more to do. But he who says, prove me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and rain down blessings. That you will have no room to contain them. He is faithful to his word. And if you need it more, it is at this period of time. If you know you have a problem in that area, just stand where you are. It's not to indict you. It's to affirm what you say that we agree together with you. And from today, the Lord changes your economy and changes your heart and your attitude to stay worship in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Because you are the Lord who has spoken to us. Even your children who stand, Lord, they stand out of sincerity. And we say, God, visit them in this way of obedience, of trust, and also of loving you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, may no more burden be upon us in responding to you this way. Whether it is a little, whether it is much, whether it is anticipated, whether it is unexpected. As we bring into our bosom, and we respond in giving out that which shows a token of love and appreciation to you. Fulfill your grace upon these lives in the joy in their heart, in the willingness in their lives, in the light and being acceptable before you. And Lord, supply to the economy as well in the name of Jesus Christ. We saw you God in Genesis 22. Prove Abraham and say, take Isaac. Take your only son Isaac. Your only son Isaac whom you love very much. Give him to me. Sacrifice him to me. And you watch the heart. And as Abraham was in the motion of it, you called back and say, I have made a provision. And not only have I made a provision, now also I know that you love and obey me. I have taken over. I will supply your needs. I will multiply your blessings. May this be our portion as we so respond to you in this area of Christian service and still worship in the name of Jesus Christ. Multiply our blessings, even in this time of lack and need, in the name of Jesus Christ. May there never be a lack in our household, in our pockets, in our needs, in our situation, in the name of Jesus Christ. May we prove you and your words true, and say truly, the Lord is a diligent rewarder of those that diligently obey Him. Lord, thank you for the joy that flows into our hearts, into our pockets, into our hopes, into our professions, as we receive of you, even this message in multiplication in the name of Jesus Christ. Be exalted, O God, that no life here will remain a poverty-stricken life, a lack of things, driven by needs and supplies, that as we give of little, as we give of much, may we have a testimony that God is faithful to His Word, and that our God has kept His Word, and that we are testimonies of it in the name of Jesus Christ. Even today, supply to the needs of many more as we have obeyed you and keep obeying in a precarious economic situation in the name of Jesus Christ. For students, for workers, for pensioners, for contract people, for self-employed people, for those who small, small things, Lord, we receive a multiplication of your blessings and open heavens in the name of Jesus. That people will take note. Of those who obey the Lord and those who walk by His status. We bless your name and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And let everyone say Amen. And put your hands together for Jesus.